Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at PCTYTalks at Paylocity.com. On today's episode, I've asked Jessica Fenstemacher, a licensed clinical social worker, to join me to talk about grief, amongst other things that we're experiencing right now during this pandemic. So Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I um, was really excited to connect with you, and I'm hoping you could start by sharing a little bit about your background and your experience with the audience. Sure, yeah. So I graduated with my master's in social work in 2005, and I um, obtained my clinical license in 2007. I started in community mental health, and since then I've worked at Anna Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital in their emergency department and psychiatry department. Um, I worked at Loyola University um, of Chicago's Wellness Center um, with the college and um, graduate age student population. And then um, about eight years ago, I started my own practice, my private practice, and I primarily see adults and children um, and families. So it sounds like you have um, have had experience dealing with every different age group um, in your in your career and background. Pretty much, yes. Not a lot of geriatrics. Uh, I have not had any experience there, but definitely adults and children, adolescents, families, and yeah, hospital setting as well. Yeah, that's good. I um, I'm glad you have that because what I want to talk about is I want to start with uh, grief. Um, people are yeah. feeling any number of things right now, and is it right to call it grief? I've heard that term thrown around a lot recently. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think when we hear the term grief, we think of only allowing ourselves to grieve if someone is ill or we know someone is going to pass or has passed. But grief encompasses a lot more than that. And grief is definitely coming up a lot with COVID-19. And I think it's really important that we allow ourselves to think about grief and embrace grief and the things that we are grieving, because there are a lot of losses that we are experiencing because of COVID-19. You know, grieving outside of experiencing the loss of a loved one can be like, for instance, what we could be grieving now. We have lost a lot of structure in our lives. We have lost a lot of routine, obviously a lot of contact with family and friends, maybe your favorite gym at the class or favorite class at the gym with all the people that you get to see. There's so many different things that we could be grieving right now that if we aren't aware of, or just allowing ourselves to think, Hey, that's, something that I really miss and I really feel like that's a big loss for me, um, that we could be missing a piece of what is contributing maybe to bigger things like anxiety or depression. So I read an article in the Harvard Business Review that specifically spoke to grief and how what we all are experiencing right now related to anxiety and depression can be a lot of underlying grief. Um, And it just spoke to a lot of the things that I just mentioned in terms of maybe the things that we are grieving because we miss and how it's important for us to recognize those things um, and also be aware of those because some of these 
things that we could be grieving could be manifesting themselves in anxiety or depression. Um, and we are more sometimes aware of those things than grief. So I think it's important for sure to be talking about grief and exploring grief in our everyday lives. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with my son. He's um, he's in the military, so he's in um, training in South Carolina. And I was just checking in on him. His base is starting to go, you know, more on lockdown now. And he said to me, you know, mom, the, the thing that I'm looking forward the most to experience after this is all over is just a hug. He's like, I don't hug mm-hmm. my sailors and my significant other I haven't been able to see. And I'm like, to me, that was a grief moment. You know, he's, he's missing that, that contact, you know, and, um, it's a big hole in his definitely. life. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and if, if, you know, if those are important conversations to have and if he can label it as in grief, you know, maybe that would be helpful in, in a way for it not to kind of build or grow into something deeper that could be more feeling like depression or anxiety, which are important to feel and have, but we want to make sure that we're labeling things correctly and that we aren't allowing things to kind of grow into more than they, that they could be if we can allow ourselves to feel the grief first. Yeah. I've heard um, a term recently called anticipatory grief. How is that different than other types of grief? Yeah. So anticipatory grief is similar to kind of what I referenced early in the sense that like if there is someone that is ill or that we know is going to pass, whether a, a family, friend, a pet, you know, there's a lot of things that maybe we can kind of think of um, and prepare ourselves for in terms of losing that that loved one. Uh, but with COVID-19, there's really no anticipatory grief that we can experience. This is something that no one has experienced before. There's nothing that we can really um, think of to prepare ourselves. So we basically just like jumped right in. Um, and now we are kind of just right into the grief as much as we can be without preparing ourselves in any way. So it's definitely a different form of grief than anticipatory grief. Yeah, it seems to go back to the, the troubling aspect of the pandemic being just so open-ended. Um, I was reading an article just today in the New York Times that was talking about um, just how we're going to come back from this and how states are kind of combining efforts to decide how they reopen stuff. But even in that article, it wasn't, there's not a specific date, you know, it's, um, we're going to take it slow. So as individuals go through the circumstance, how do they, how do they manage grief being that it's so different than potentially something they've experienced before in this time? Yeah. I mean, I think definitely, you know, COVID-19 has broken a sense of safety for us in the sense of what you were just speaking to. Like it's so open-ended. We have like these potential dates that things might change, but then things, you know, go back to normal Um, But going back to normal, we don't even know what that's going to look like. Um, So in some ways, there might be some anticipatory grief. And that's like maybe a whole other conversation in the sense of like, now that we've experienced this, are we going to have anticipatory grief for what the world would look like um, when we are allowed to be more social? Um, So that might actually even occur now that we've experienced this and for what is to come. Um, But to speak to kind of managing grief, is that what you were wanting to speak to? Yeah, I'm I'm just curious, like some tools that, you know, people can start to incorporate in their everyday lives as they are. Are they able to name this as grief? You know, how they 
can name the emotion and then work through it. And so it, it doesn't end up leading to, um, you know, debilitating anxiety or depression. So I think the, the, the starting point for that would to be just to educate ourselves on the, the stages of grief. There are actually um, five stages of grief. And the first stage is denial. The second is anger. The third is bargaining. The fourth is sadness. And the fifth is acceptance. Um, so denial can look like, in terms of COVID-19, I'll just reference in terms of COVID-19, you know, this won't affect me. I won't get sick. Um, the second is anger, angry, anger that we have to distance ourselves, that we cannot hug our significant others, you know, in referencing to what maybe what your, your son was feeling. Um, bargaining would look like maybe I'll work from home, but I'm not going to distance myself from my friends. I'm not going to give that up. Um, the fourth sadness you know, sadness is self-explanatory. It can happen in a lot of different ways that we experience sadness. Um, sometimes sadness and anger can look similar. And then finally, acceptance. So acceptance is when we can really find control um, because we can accept it and maybe we can think of something that we can do to feel like we have control. Like, okay, I can wear a mask. I can wear gloves. I can work from home. What can I do to help myself feel safe? would be kind of the final, the final stage of acceptance. So in managing grief, so maybe in like understanding what grief looks like and managing grief, like it's maybe a way to be thoughtful and mindful of what stage we're in, if we are experiencing these stages um, and putting a name to those things. So then that might help us understand that what we actually are feeling is grief. Yeah, I really like that. You know, we talk a lot about mindfulness at Pilosity and um, we just implemented a new resource for us and it's been so helpful just to take those moments even if it's a five-minute breathing exercise and really center myself and um, I'm able to come into a moment a little bit more cognizant of how I'm feeling and how I can work through those emotions to kind of move past them if I need to or dwell on them if I need to in a good way. Um, mm -hmm. So those those tactics are always helpful. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, sure. As managers are finding themselves in this new paradigm, one thing I've been thinking a lot about is how managers can support employees' mental well-being. Uh, I think a starting point to that is managers recognizing in themselves and their employees signs and symptoms of depression or anxiety, amongst other things. So what are some things that um, managers should be on the lookout for when looking for these things, these warning signs in employees? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would think that most managers would have a good pulse for their employees in terms of like what their usual work ethic is like, what their usual personality is like. So I think like the main thing with not being a mental health professional is just noticing if there's been shifts in maybe some someone's work performance or just personality in general. Um, you know, big signs of a shift in depression would be maybe decreased motivation, someone who is usually timely and organized and now is not, any vocalization of just like not sleeping well, trouble concentrating. Those are pretty telltale signs of depression and maybe things that managers within like the manager-employee relationship would, would see. Um, anxiety, someone who maybe is constantly talking about COVID-19 more so than, you know, 
our usual quote unquote talking of it, whatever that really is, um, you know, referencing the news seems more worried or fixated, you know, anxiety can really just take a hold and um, allow the mind to imagine the worst possible scenario. Also, anxiety can manifest itself in ruminating thoughts. So like a thought that you cannot just stop having, you just really can't get it out of your head. Um, and then, you know, obviously, if someone's ever vocalizing any thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves, that would be a, a something that you know would have to be taken seriously. Um, WebMD has a lot of just um, useful uh, signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety. But I also think, you know, as managers, there's just, there's no harm as a manager, as a friend, as a significant other, as anything to check in with someone if you notice a shift in their personality or their well-being to say, hey, you know, I just, I noticed you're not like yourself and I wonder if you're struggling a little or if there's any way I could help. This is a really hard time. Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling depressed? I don't think there's anything wrong with ever asking. I think that's so um pivotal and yet so simple. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in manager employee relation or relationship or HR to employee relationship that um, we forget that we can just be just be human, right? Sure. And just right. and just say like, hey, I noticed that you're off and um, I want to check in. Like we're all in this together right now and we're all experiencing it differently. Um, do you have or have you seen, you know, managers who've been really successful at this um, while still respecting private health information? I mean, I know that can be a, a tricky line. So, I, I mean, I think it does go back to just being genuine. But any advice or wording that managers could use to make sure that they're staying on the right side of that? Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it is a fine line, obviously, too, if you are in like a manager employee role. But um, let's start with the worst case scenario. If someone was to say and um, confide in you as a manager that they actually have been having suicidal thoughts, then I would want to first ask, like, do they live alone? Do they live with someone? Is there someone that they could contact like pretty much immediately um, or if they would even feel comfortable bringing themselves to the emergency room. Suicidal thoughts, especially if someone is vocalizing them, is something that needs to be addressed immediately. Um, and if you are in a position as a manager and you are receiving that, that obviously is a very scary situation. Um, so to act immediately, though, the first thing I would do, like I said, I would see if there's anyone that's in the home with them that, that could assist them um, to get them to the emergency room. That's not something that you know, I would not wait to get seen. Um, but if someone says more so, you know, I just, I really am feeling really anxious and I'm feeling really depressed and it's just not like myself and I don't know what to do. Um, you know, there are employee assistant programs, which maybe you can speak to in terms of um, what those are a little bit more in detail. Um, but most insurances, if not all currently, are covering telehealth therapy because of COVID-19. So my practice right now, because I am safety in place, safety at home, is completely on telehealth. And I see Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna clients, and Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna are paying for those sessions just as they would if they came to my office to see me. And most, if not all, insurance companies are doing that now. So if someone wanted to start therapy, it would not have to be them going into an office. They could do that all online. Um, 
another resource is Psychology Today. It's a website where you can research and kind of get a feel for the type of person or practice you're looking for and connect with therapists that way. Um, or you can simply call your insurance provider for names of therapists um, that take your insurance. Yeah, you mentioned two things. So EAP, Employee Assistance Programs, most employers have this for their employees. And I think employees sometimes don't um, know what a great resource this is. So typically it will give you the opportunity to get connected with um, somebody when you're in need. There's a whole gamut of different things that EAPs cover. But um, right now during a situation like COVID-19, it's a great resource that's typically free to employees to call and get connected with a therapist. The other thing that you mentioned was some hotlines. So I know that this is, um, there's different resources based on your insurance company, but there's also state specific resources out there that I've seen where states are now setting up hotlines around mental health and coronavirus. So definitely something if you're listening as a manager, you know, know what that number is for your state. So you have one more resource that you can hand out to the employee for sure. Right. So I want to wrap up our discussion today um, talking about children, which is which is something typically we don't talk about on the podcast. But I think that there's a lot of parents who are now working fully remote, um, managers, employees, HR professionals, all trying to to balance either having kids at home or providing advice. You know, I saw this video of a um, Saudi Arabia nurse coming home from shift working on a, a COVID-19 floor and his young son came up to give him a hug and he he pushed him away. Um, he didn't touch mm-hmm. him, but he pushed him away. And it was um, heartbreaking for this this nurse. And he, you know, he kind of um, bent over and started crying. And, and just the imagery of that, I think it's so important for us to have a discussion about, you know, how do you talk to kids about what's happening right now? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and still instill in them some, some hope. So we don't want to ever use any quote unquote fairy tale language. What I mean by that is that we don't want to ever speak of COVID-19 or any traumatic event. If you're ever speaking to your child about something traumatic or serious in the way of like, naming it as there's a big monster out there with a lot of germs and until Superman kills the monster, we can't go outside. We don't want to do things like that for children. We don't want to fantasize them in that way. We want to be as real as possible, um, you know, with this or with any, with any traumatic event with children. Um, and the Harvard medical school posted an interesting article on how to speak to your children on this that spoke to you really just, you want to think about your child's age. You know, do you have a three-year-old or do you have a 15-year-old? Engage what you think the extent of what they need to know is. You know, children's imaginations are greater than adults and we don't want to fuel their anxiety um, in any shape or form, you know, as much as we can uh, control that for them. Um, if, you know, we can reference germs, we can reference the flu. Obviously this is different from the flu, but things that they already understand that are already part of their lives, germs and the flu, having a cold, being sick, those are all parts of their lives already that they can reference or understand in that capacity. And then, um, you know, talking about precautions that we need to take, unfortunately, right now, schools are closed. Um, we can't see, friends and family, excessive washing hands. Um, maybe there is some distancing within our own families that have to be taken place if our family members work within a hospital setting in terms of the video that you were referencing. But, you know, open communication, as much as we 
can have with our children is important. You know, we all are feeling our own anxiety and they are feeling anxiety as well. Um, it might look different, but as much as we can talk through it and allow them to have space to talk about it themselves, whether, you know, however that looks to them is, is always really important. So maybe it's like a daily check-in and even if it's not a conversation and because they don't really have any thoughts that day that that's okay but at least opening that space up for them to let's say like let's just chat about how was your day did you have any thoughts or feelings about what was going on are you feeling sad are you feeling worried um you know and some days they'll be like no I'm fine this is great and some days they might have those thoughts so maybe it's just implementing or practicing some open communication on a daily basis it's also really hard right now like we're not choosing to work at home and take care of our children at the same time. And, you know, that takes a toll. Um, setting boundaries or as much of a schedule or structure as you can, but also being and practicing self-compassion that some days are just going to be hard and we're doing the best that we can. You know, I think you mentioned like some coping skills with meditation or breathing, things like that, mindfulness, all those things are great. But I think right now self-compassion also is so important. Um, just being kind to ourselves. We are all doing the best that we can. You know, positive self-talk is always important. Yeah, there's this um, activity I just saw uh, recently, and I hadn't seen it before, and I'm probably going to butcher the name of it, but um, it had to do with thinking about your day as a rose, like, you know, kind of that exercise mm -hmm. you talked about. So you come to the end of the day and what was, you know, the smell good flower part of your day and what was the bud part of your day, the day that you, something happened that you're looking forward to. And then what was a thorn in your day? Like what was something that was a struggle? And I really liked the visual of that one, um, especially to, to have kids engage and really have an understanding of how to articulate some of the things that they're feeling. Yeah, that's great. I like that. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, but I'd like okay. if maybe you could share with our listeners, if they want to get in touch with you personally, how do they do that? Sure. So I have a website. It's Jessica Fenstemacher, LCSW.com, and that would take you to my Psychology Today profile, and it just um, explains how you can contact me from there. Wonderful. And I will drop that in the show notes for our audience um, in case you okay. don't know how to spell Fenstemacher. Um, right. yeah. So <laughs> again, Jessica, it was wonderful having you on the podcast today and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for having me.